So uh, planning this sermon, there was some confusion in the beginning because um, Matt kind of went on a dovetail last week. And so we're lo- looking to see what we're preaching on and found out it's the, the main thrust of this sermon is going to be on humility. And I got to tell you right up front, this is going to be one of the best sermons you're ever going to hear on humility because it's amazing. I mean, I was putting this together saying, I don't even think I can do this unless I'm in a packed house and it's on TV. So, um, so but it's, it's going to be incredible. You're going to learn what humility is not. So, you know, so. Um, but we're talking, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17. If, if you d- have your Bibles, we're in Luke 17. Otherwise, there's chair Bibles um, in front of you there, and it's on page 850, I believe. Um, <clears throat> looking at the first 10, 10 um, verses of Luke 17. But I want to give you a little context of what's going on here before we get into those verses. Luke is talking throughout the book of Luke, um, especially starting in chapter 5. <clears throat> He's been going back and forth. The Pharisees and Jesus have been going back and forth. The Pharisees are the religious leaders of, of Jesus' time. They were the ones that knew the Old Testament. They knew the teachings of Moses. They knew the, the law. And they could recite it. And the thing about that is they wanted you to know how much they knew. They, they weren't happy unless you knew how smart they were and, and, and how much better they were than you as religious leaders. <clears throat> and so Jesus would come up and he would be teaching something that's different than what the religious leaders were teaching because these religious leaders were looking for a Messiah to come. They were looking for someone to come in and to conquer the Romans and to take over and to free them and to be this guy who's coming in on a white horse and just charging through, killing the enemies and, and, and taking off. And Jesus comes in and he comes in as a servant and he, everything he teaches goes totally contrary to what they believed and, and what they were thinking the Messiah was going to be. So every time Jesus came in and taught, you see these Pharisees coming in, and they're sitting there trying to turn people away from what Jesus is teaching. And every time Jesus comes out, the Pharisees come up, and they're, and they're mocking him, or they're, they're making fun of him. So Jesus comes up, and in um, the, the chapters before 17, he's, heal, he's healing a paralyzed man. He heals the, his friends come. You might have heard the story. They, they couldn't get in because the crowd was so, so big. So they cut a hole in the roof, which is always a great thing to do, you know, if you want to get to, to somebody. They cut a hole in the roof. They drop this paralyzed man down in front of Jesus. And Jesus heals them. And then he has the nerve to go on and say, and your sins are forgiven. Well, the healing part was the Pharisees were like, all right. But then all of a sudden he says, their sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees start grumbling. And they said, only God can forgive sins. So they were totally missing the point that Jesus was God. They weren't, they weren't accepting that at all. And so they, they go through this, and, and Jesus associates with sinners. We look at Luke chapter 5. Let me get to that. Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So here's Jesus. He goes out, and he not only eats and drinks with sinners, he takes a tax collector and he says, I want you to follow me and be one of my disciples. And so the Pharisees are just 
up in arms over this. They shunned sinners. If you weren't as good as them, they were pushing you away. They wanted nothing to do with you. And here's Jesus taking them in. Then we get to Luke 15, and we see that Jesus has three different parables talking about the lost, the lost sheep, the lost coin. And he talks, and, and he talks about the fact that they were lost and then they're found. And how you rejoice when somebody who doesn't know who Jesus is finds that and finds out the joy that can come from that. And there's rejoicing going on. And so Jesus teaches this where the Pharisees, they could care less about that. They weren't interested in sinners repenting. They didn't want anything to be, you know, anything close to them. So then we get to chapter 16, right up before we get where we're at now. And the Pharisees are getting more angry. Luke 16, verses 14 and 15. It says, The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus and said to them, He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. That people value highly, what people value highly is detestable in God's eyes. So here's, here's um, everything that, that the Pharisees did was to try to make them more famous, more rich, and more powerful. It was all about how do I look when this is over. And so Jesus is sharing these parables, and he's talking about give it all away. And the Pharisees are like, please. And it, the Bible tells us, he says, they were lovers of money. And Jesus goes on and says, what you value is high, God detests. If, if we love money, if we love anything that goes against what God wants, if we love things more than God, God says that's detestable to him. And that's where the Pharisees are at. And so the Pharisees always try to pretend they were righteous. They, they try to pretend that they have it all together. And then Jesus comes along and he tells the story of a rich man and Lazarus. So the rich man, which would be the Pharisee's hero, in this story ends up in hell. And Lazarus, who would be condemned by the Pharisees, is the one in heaven. So follow me as, as we read this. Luke 16, we're going to be starting with verse 27. It says, he answered, so, so the, the rich man in La, is, is, is in hell, and he's crying out to Abraham. He's crying out to Abraham saying, hey, you know what? Go tell, I want to go tell my, um, my family you know, what's going on, so they know, so they don't have to suffer the way I'm suffering. And so he, he answered them, he's, he's, the rich man says, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not, they will not also come to the place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. So they have the Old Testament teachings. Let them listen to them. He says, <clears throat> No, Father, he said, but if somebody from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if somebody rises from the dead. Isn't that interesting? There's something interesting going on that's going to happen just a few chapters later, where Jesus is going to die and rise from the dead. And guess what? People still didn't believe after that. So this whole time that... Jesus is speaking. He's basically going to the Pharisees and he's just attacking everything that they're teaching. He's saying, you have all the teachings of the Old Testament, yet you still don't believe. He says, you're not even going to believe if I die and rise from the dead. And that, that played out. And <clears throat> so all this is kind of leading up to this, 
this back and forth between Jesus and the Pharisees. And we come to chapter 17. And let's, let's read this together as you get the context of the arguments going back and forth between Jesus and the Pharisees. Chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you is a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Seems kind of harsh, but we're going to kind of flesh that out a little bit about what Jesus is talking about here. Because again, remember, he's talking to people who are religious. People who quote-unquote have it together when it comes to spiritual things. They think they do. And he's come, come through and he's going to just throw their world upside down. See, the Bible talks about in Proverbs 6, Proverbs 21 and 16, that God hates pride. But then it says in James 4 and in Proverbs 22 that he loves humility. And that's what God is tr- trying to get across is that the, the Pharisees were good on the pride part, but they were sorely lacking on the humility part. And, and Micah 6.8 says that what God wants from us is to walk humbly with our God. Come along, understand who we are and understand who God is. So the first thing we look at in these verses is, is is don't cause others to sin. We live our lives in a way that we shouldn't be living our lives in a way that are going to cause other people to stumble or to sin. The Pharisees were setting up rules and they're setting up regulations and laws that they knew people weren't able to to follow. They weren't even following them themselves, but yet they were trying to make it to other people how to follow these. And they were constantly doing this to other people who were were constantly stumbling and, and and losing faith because of the fact that these Pharisees were teaching something that was contrary to what Jesus was teaching. But instead, instead of causing others to sin, we need to love others. 1 John 2.10 Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. So that's what he's talking about here is is living in a way that's not going to cause someone else to be confused. And cause someone else to stumble in, in how they're living their, their life. And, and to, we need to confront in love. It's talking about the fact that when it says to rebuke, it's when we're f- offended in a significant way. We'll talk about that in a second. But when we're offended in a significant way, the Bible says that we need to confront that, but to do it in love. And not in a petty way like, I don't know about you, but there are times when I wake up on the wrong side of the bed and... The other side's on a wall, so I'm in real trouble because I'm always getting up on that side of the bed. But I'll get up, and I'm just not happy, and someone will look at me uh, the wrong way, 
and I'm offended. Can anyone relate to this? It's like they didn't do anything, but they just offended me because I know what they're thinking. And, and, I, and I'm already judging them. I'm sitting there going, I know what you're thinking. And, and I get mad at them, and they're, just, they're like, what in the world's wrong with him? And so we, gotta, we can't go through life always looking for ways to be offended because I can promise you, you'll find it. It's not hard to be offended. But, we, but when it's something that's significant, that's when it says we got to sit there and say, how do I confront lovingly? If, it, if it's something that's serious that I have to confront on it. And, and it, it talks about the fact that when that happens, we have to do it in a loving way. And then when they come and they say, I messed up, I, need, I repent, it talks about the fact that we need to forgive them. So the second thing is that we need to forgive others. All right, so the first thing is we don't cause other people to stumble. And the next thing is we need to forgive others. And, and then the question is, what if they don't repent? What if they don't sit there and come up and say that they're sorry? Some of us have been in those situations where someone is, has hurt us, but they haven't come up and admitted that they've, they've hurt us. And we sit there and say, well, then I don't have to forgive them. Well, Jesus gave the example on the cross in Luke 23, 34. He's on the cross. They're spitting on him. They're, they're selling his clothes. They're mocking him. And here's what Jesus says. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. One of his last words on the cross before he dies is telling us that we need to forgive. And it's not dependent on their attitude toward us. It's we need to forgive them. And, and so he, he gives us that example. And again, not every sin. If, if, if we're sitting there saying we need to be rebuking a person for every little thing that they do wrong, if my wife had to rebuke me for every time I messed up, she would get nothing else done in her life. Because there would be a constant from the, mor- from the morning to the night. There it is again, there it is again, there it is again. And I know some of you are sitting there going, that's my life, it seems like. It's like, but... The idea that not every little thing, but those big things that are the consistent sins, those deliberate sins that we, it's obvious that it's something that needs to be addressed. We need to do that. And when they come up and they say, please forgive me, what does it say? How many times does it say to do that in a day? It says seven times. Isn't that great that we can sit there and stop at seven? Oh, you know what? You, you hit seven. We're done. I don't have to forgive anymore. It's not saying 70, he's basically saying you got to continue to do that. And when we look at them, they say, boy, if, they, if in one day, if they continue to come up and, if, and do something against me, and I forgive them, and they, you know, they come up and they say, I'm truly sorry, and they do it again, and I, I go and I forgive them, after seven times you're sitting there going, that's crazy. I have to keep doing that? And then the question I have to ask myself that, that you need to ask yourself is, how many times does God have to do that? for us every day. I can tell you honestly, it's far more than seven before eight o'clock in the morning. That God's sitting there going, oh. you know, and it's like, when, when, you know, God has a lot of patience because he created me. And, and he looks down and he goes, oh my goodness. So when we look at it, the problem is a lot of times what we look at is we look at ourselves and we say, I've been offended. I've been offended. I've been offended. And we start counting how many times we've been offended. And we start looking at it that way. And what happens is we start to look at it, and, and it's all about us. Well, I want to challenge us, myself included, to flip that around and say, I want to start looking at God and saying, how many times do I offend God? Because if our eyes are on God and off of ourselves, 
We're going to live life differently. We're going to treat others around us differently because we're going to see people the way that God sees them. We're going to see forgiveness the way that God sees forgiveness. And so then it goes on in Luke 17, verses 5 and 6. The disciples come up and they say, increase our faith, he said, because here Jesus comes up to him and says, you need to forgive seven times a day plus. And the disciples are like, well, you've got to increase our faith. You've got, you got to make us stronger. And here's what Jesus says. He, he replied, if you have the faith of a small, as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. So the next thing I want us to look at is small faith. I want you to catch this. Small faith placed in a great God will produce great things. Because it talks about the fact if you have the faith of a mustard seed, as small as a mustard seed, but that faith isn't in, I can do this myself. There are so many times when we sit there and say, I can do this myself. I know for myself, every January I say that. I'm going to start exercising and getting in shape because for the past 20 years, my goal has been by the time the mission trip comes in the summer, I'm going to be in great shape. And I realize that I'm going to have to wait till the next mission trip because it's, you know, but I, I, I sit there and go, I can do this. And I, and I go out there and, man, I tell you what, it's the best three days of my life. And then all of a sudden, I get out of my routine. I'm a person of routine. If I get in a routine, boy, I'm clicking. But once I get out of that, I just can't seem to get back into that. And, and it, we're always trying to, trying to do it ourselves. We put faith in ourselves to do things. I put faith in myself that I can handle this situation, that I can deal with this situation. And when he talks about the fact that a small, a small faith, as small as a mustard seed, he's not saying small faith in yourself. He's saying a small faith in a great God can do great things. And we have to understand that. So where are we putting our faith? Is it in myself or is it in God? And he talks about the fact that if, if you called out to a mulberry tree and said, you know, be torn out and thrown into the, to the sea, it would happen. A mulberry tree had roots that were so strong and so deep that it could last 600 years. That's how deep the, the roots are in that tree. <clears throat> My question is, if you're dealing with bitterness and, and unforgiveness in your life, how deeply rooted are they? The mulberry tree had roots that went down so far that that tree would last forever. Some of us are dealing in our lives with unforgiveness and bitterness toward people, and we've held on to it for a long time. And it's like those roots of that tree. They're so deep down there that it seems impossible that they're ever going to get ripped out. And God's telling us, he said, put your faith in Christ. Understand that that's the only way it's going to happen. When these disciples come up and say, give us more faith, they said, all you need is a small faith. It's just a matter of where are you putting that faith? Are you going to put it in me, or are you going to put it in yourself? Because Jesus can rip out those roots and clean them. He can clean it totally. And we can go through life not having to deal with bitterness and unforgiveness. And I know that from personal experience that I had to deal with that. With a, with a, a few different people in my life. That I had to sit there and say, I can't keep going. Because anyone who's dealing with that now or has, has dealt with it in the past... You know that it destroys you 
more than it destroys that person. There are so many times I was so mad at somebody, I said, I'm not going to forgive them. And I felt like I was teaching them a lesson. They went to bed and they slept pretty, pretty well probably. I'm the one that struggled sleeping. And it was because I was the one un- unwilling to forgive. Those roots were so deep. And I wasn't willing to, to let go of that. So he's talking about the fact that you can't do that on your own. You've got to put your faith in a God that can do that. So then we come to chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. And this is the interesting part. As you read this, you're like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. It's, it seems kind of harsh. But again, he says, suppose that you, one of you has a servant plowing or looking after, after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat or drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. So when we look at this, he's, he's sitting there saying, when you're following after God and you're doing what God wants, you're doing what's expected of you. And so we, we think of the Christian duty, follow God, obey God. And it's kind of the idea of the, the servant being an employee and the master being the person in authority. So it can be an employee boss. How many times did your boss come up each day and say, thank you so much for showing up on time today? You know what? I'm so happy that you did that. Or, or your parents, how many times do they come up every day and say, thank you so much for getting out of bed, for eating breakfast and going to school? I mean, it's not one of those things where we can sit there and say, I'm not going to school unless my parents thank me for going to school. I'm not going to work and being on time unless my boss thanks me for being on time. That's, we, we looked at that and we said, it wouldn't make sense. <clears throat> I was in the Air Force. Trust me, when the, when the instructor said something, I wasn't about to say, not until you say please. That wouldn't go over too well. Or not until you, were, not until you sit there and acknowledge how hard I work today will I salute you or do whatever it is. It's, you're told to do something, you do it. It's just the reality of it. I was, in, I was in seventh grade, and let me tell you something. We've all gone through seventh grade, most of us, okay? Seventh grade, the two hardest years of my life, I'm going to tell you right now, it, they were hard. Because I'd go through, I'd walk into school, and my mother's here to attest to it, so, so don't ask her. Um, but I'd walk into school, and teachers would sigh. They'd, they'd be like, oh, he's here. They would have me come into school early and run around the gym. This is before they, they diagnosed ADD. Because I would have, my, my face would have been right next to it in the dictionary. It would have been like Nelson right there. They'd have me come into school early, run around the gym for who knows how long, half an hour or like that. And they're thinking, okay, now he's going to be fine. What they didn't realize was that just woke me up. So everybody else is coming in like, oh. And I'm just like, what? just running around everywhere and I would seriously sit I'd be sitting in the classroom there's a window here giant windows and there's a basketball court right outside right outside the the school it's it's just like you know just you can see it from from the classroom I would get bored I would open the window I would jump out and I'd go over to the basketball court 
I think it got to the point where the teacher put a basketball outside the window and was begging me to do it. And, and I would come into school and I would expect the teacher, if I didn't cause a problem in the first five minutes, I was expecting the teacher to, I, I should have got a, a, a reward of some sort because I wasn't a pain for those five minutes. And that's the reality of the situation was there are so many times we go through life and we sit there and say, unless I get something, then I'm not, I'm not going to be happy with that. So when we think about it, we talk about the fact that people get offended if they're not thanked or appreciated for everything. I didn't, I didn't tell the, the camera crew this, but I'm going to do it anyway. So Night to Shine just came up, right? It was a great time. What if people... Everyone that worked for Nightshine came in and they did this. I'm not moving until someone thanks me for all the work I put into this. Nope, not doing it. No one has thanked me. All the work I put in before this and then tonight, you're expecting me to, to give up my time for this? Think about what Night to Shine would have looked like if everyone who came to help had that attitude. We'd be sitting there going, that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. But let me tell you something. We do that to God. We sit there and we serve God, and then we get upset if he doesn't do something for us. We kind of keep tally. We sit there and say, God, I did three things for you, and you haven't done anything for me yet. And in God's eyes, it looks like we're sitting on on the floor pouting, saying, I'm not going to do anything else until you, you recognize all my hard work that I've done for you, God. What we have to realize is that God owes us nothing. That's going to be hard for some of us to hear. But you have to understand, the God who created us, the God who gives us breath, doesn't owe us anything. But yet we go through life thinking that's the case, that God owes us something. For everything I've done for him, he owes us something. For me doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm owed something. For me showing up on time for work, my boss owes me a a, a raise for doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. And that's kind of how our lives look a lot of times. We'll sit there and say, I'm not going to serve the church because I'm not getting anything out of it. it. It's not really doing anything for me. Or, you know, all that. And we, and we look and we say, God, what is, what's in it for me? We have that attitude of, what's in it for me? And, and so Jesus says that we need to realize we owe him everything. That's what the story is about, is, is that you don't sit there and come in from the field and say, okay, I'm good, I'm done. Now I can sit down. Your job's not done. We're supposed to be serving God and loving God and obeying God throughout our lives. And unfortunately, what happened is, through this whole time, is this is just the opposite of what the Pharisees were doing. The Pharisees were doing something totally opposite. And as we, we close up here, the, the analogy that I, that I always like to use with this, because it, it's perfect for where the Pharisees at, they didn't get it, was we know a lot of things in our head. In fact, as we close up here, I'm going to do a little exercise. I need everybody to stand up. I think I've done this before, but we're going to, we're going to, if you're able to stand, going to stand up and we're going to do a little calisthenics here. I told you I was in the military, so this is, 
So, all right. So the first thing we have to know is that when we understand who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross, it, go, it starts here. So we're, we're pointing at our heads. All right, so it goes head. So we know it in our head. I know this. And this is where the Pharisees are at. Right now, guess what? We're all Pharisees because I know it. I know what the Bible teaches. Then the next thing what happens is that once I know it and it starts to seep down into my heart, and it gets to be part of who I am. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the fact of who I am on the inside. Whenever you read about the heart in the Bible, it's talking about this is who I really am. So we go from I know it in my head, it comes down into my heart, and it becomes part of who I am. And when that happens, it comes out in our hands. And people see it in our lives. So here it is. We go head to heart to hand. One more time. Head to heart to hand. That is what the Bible teaches. That's what the Pharisees didn't get. The Pharisees stopped here. And what happens is a lot of people sit, think that I've got it here. I can tell you from what Scripture says, if you believe you have it here, okay, and you don't have it here, you don't have it here. And if this is something that you're reading, I mean, you're listening to online and not seeing it, you're really confused right now. So, but if we think we have it in our heart, but it's not something that comes out in our hands where people see it, then we're lying to ourselves. Because the Bible talks about the fact that we're going to be known by our fruits. There's going to be things in our lives that are going to be different from other people around us. We're going to forgive other people. We're going to love other people. We're going to be patient with other people. And, and that's, that's not normal. That, that's not what a Pharisee would do. That's not a, what a religious leader would do. But if we truly want to live the way that God has called us to live, we've got to get it from knowing it, because most of us here know Easter. Most of us, if we sat there and said, what is Easter? We'd sit there and say, Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday. He rose again on Sunday. It, we're Pharisees. Until it becomes part of who we are and we say, I know that. Because my focus is on God. It's not on myself and how much I'm offended. But my focus is on how am I offending God and how can I fix that? How can I change that? And it comes out. When we do that and that becomes real in our lives... People are going to see the difference in our lives. There's going to be something different about our lives, and they're going to say there's something different there about that person. And they're going to be drawn toward God because of the way we live our lives. So let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you love us enough that you would do Easter. Lord, you would come down to this earth, live as a a human, and humble yourselves and just give us the example of what that really looks like and that you would die a sinner's death in our place. Lord, we all know, everyone in this room knows, Lord, that we deserve that ourselves. We deserve to be separated from God for eternity. But you came to make us right in God's eyes so that we could spend eternity with God. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room. I pray for those that 
that understand that, that it's, it's head, heart, hands, that you would help them to, to live that out this week. Lord, for those that it's still in their head and it hasn't seeped down to the heart, to become part of who they are, I pray that you'll just help them to see that and to know how much you love them and that people can see that and see who you are through our lives. Lord, we love you so much and we just thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.